Welcome to the show, everybody. This is a special new episode. It's a part of what will be a new series eventually. It's just here we are for now. But in addition to recording these as here we are episodes, it's a new project that I'm putting together that I'm very excited about. Basically, I've been reaching out to some of my favorite uh, past guests of here we are. Um, this, This idea came about from helping some of my uh, some of my science friends with various projects at different stages of development. And uh, I started reaching out to people be like, hey, if you have a new class you're trying to put together, a new book that you're putting together, and you know, you're, you're maybe stuck in a part or you're in the brainstorming phase, you kind of have the outline together and you know the direction of it, but you want to know what's, uh, what, uh, how it's going to be received by the public and and what questions and comments they might have and things like that. Why don't we hash it out in this conversational way? Just uh, not, not, uh, not unlike a regular here we are episode, but, but in a, in a structured series over time. So how it's going to work is each month. This is my, this is the first experiment of it. It was a great fun intro. Um, so every month, uh, my first guest, Athena, and I'm working on this with uh, with a couple other uh, past guests as well. Uh, so this is this is the very first one. So it's especially important that uh, that you guys get involved in giving me ideas and and notes and anything that you like, anything you'd like to see, any ideas of your own that you have, any questions, anything like that. The idea is once a month we'll put out one of these. Athena Activist happens to be writing. A uh, new uh, book that I'm super excited about, and so this is a process of kind of casually going through what the book is about in a conversational way, um, and to kind of brainstorm and come up with ideas. And so this is the intro, and then there'll be three, three or four parts, like the book will have. Um, and, you know, we might focus in on one chapter or something in particular. If there's something that she wants some, you know, some extra notes on or just wants to talk through a little bit more. Uh, And then and then there will be kind of an ending um, conclusion, uh, tying up loose ends and and a summary and answering remaining questions and addressing comments and things like that. Uh, And then and then it'll be like kind of re-edited and rebranded. So it's just one thing in a package that you can get all five or six of those in kind of one playlist. Uh, it's exciting for me. I started Here We Are eight years ago or whatever when podcasting was new. I've learned a lot since then. Sometimes I, I think about kind of ditching this show uh, entirely and rebranding it just because I've learned more about marketing and thing, things that um, as, as this show like um, you know, is slow to grow now, eight years in a lot of it's like, well, here we are is maybe not the best name in the world to capture brand new people that doesn't, you know, there's nothing within that name that says that there's a uh, comedian interviewing scientists or that it's a science podcast or anything like that. I like the name and it's meaningful to me, or if you hear the theme song, uh, and everything, but in terms of capturing a, a wider audience, there's just a lot of things like that that um, I've I've been kind of looking for a way to do a fresh start. 
but I also love this show and I love here we are and I love the education that I get from doing it. So I've been rather stubborn um, about uh, about giving it up. Um, and uh, and uh, by the way, thank you. Anyone who supports me on patreon.com slash Shane Moss, you're the only reason why this still exists and it barely still exists. I, I go out of pocket on this show. And so if you want to help support um, what I do in science communication, check that out. But I thought this would be such a fun way to um, dig into a subject to uh, uh, to get the audience involved, to let you guys once a month as we release one of these, you know, add questions on YouTube, get on Discord. If you're on if you're on the Patreon, get on the Discord uh, and start the conversation in the Here We Are channel. Um, Discord's such a great social media because it's doesn't it's not as addictive and nagging you and prompting you and stuff um, as often as uh, a lot of social media is. And I've never uh, I've never found myself to uh, you know get addicted to it or waste a bunch of time on it. I've I've, I've really only had positive experiences um, from it, and you can kind of check in on the topics that you're interested in and and leave the rest depending on what your mood is that day or your interests. So it's a pretty cool space to especially hash out stuff like this. So um, we would love questions, comments, um, anything like that, any ideas that you have uh, going forward. And then, and again, the end product is going to be slightly different than this show, but from this show, it's just going to be edited down a little bit. We'll cut a lot of things and then maybe add some more graphics and, and, um, or maybe me interjecting some stuff, um, afterwards that we, that we edit in. It's, uh, uh, this is the first one, so it, it can really be anything, but, uh, I'm pretty excited about this idea, and I hope you guys are interested in it. The other, the other little change is that they're going to be shorter episodes than a regular "Here We Are" episode. Why? Well, because the end result's going to be five or six of these in a row, rebranded as as something. And so, I think like the end result being thirty to forty-five minutes per class um, uh, will will be something that kind of feels right when there's, uh, when there's multiple of them in a row and, um, and not as intimidating as five or six hour and a half long, um, things that you got to listen to, to get the whole summary of the book or the class or whatever. So those are all of my thoughts going into this. If you guys have any ideas, would love to hear them. Other than that, um, I just had to blab a little bit about this. So you have some context, uh, but it's going to be pretty straightforward from here on out. So this will, you'll get to see Athena uh, once a month for the next five months or so. And we'll just see how this project goes. So enjoy this new fun thing I'm trying out with. And let me know what you think. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. 
Welcome everybody, thanks for joining, and joining me today is Athena Actibus, who is an amazing scientist and fantastic science communicator mm. who makes uh, thinks of all sorts of inventive and fun ways to disseminate science to the public in entertaining and accessible ways, and I am so thrilled to have her as the first of this uh, new series and project that I'm working on. So, Athena, can you please introduce yourself, your background, what you do? Oh, thank you, Shane. It means so much coming from you. I mean, as an unbelievable science communicator who makes science fun. So, first of all, thank you for that. Thank you. Um, yeah, so I'm Athena Actifis. I'm a cooperation scientist, a cooperation theorist. I work on cooperation across systems, everything from how our bodies work, looking at like cellular cooperation inside of us to looking at human cooperation in small scale societies and also in the modern world. Oh, and also microbial systems like this kombucha that I happen to be drinking now, which was made with cooperation. Um, yeah, so I do all that. And then also the zombie apocalypse. That's also a thing. So that's a little out of context. Uh, <laughs> I know, I know. It's like, just, and what? The zombie said, apocalypse? And also the zombie apocalypse, <laughs> you know. And I don't know when I'm releasing this, there might be a real zombie apocalypse actually happening at the time that this this comes out. So you yeah. should probably give a little bit more context in terms of some of the other uh, science communication and other projects that you're involved Absolutely. In. Well, and Shane, you know, it's all a question of how you're defining the zombie apocalypse. So right. in my in my podcast, Zombified, which we have some uh, illustrations back here um, from some of my podcast episodes, we uh, talk all about how we're zombified by all sorts of things. And at the end of every episode, we ask people, what is the zombie apocalypse version of what we're talking about? Whether it's social influence or parasites or social media, how it's taking over our brain. You know, what is the zombie apocalypse version of just if we, you make that a little more than what it is mm -hmm. now. And most of the time our guests say, oh, we're actually in that zombie apocalypse right now already. <laughs> so once you this start- This is as bad as it could possibly <laughs> Not be. as bad. No, it could get a lot worse. Don't worry. There's, there's more places to go from here, yeah. but- um, there, there's I think, gradients of apocalypses. And and there's also just a like diverse landscape of zombie apocalypses. Um, it's not a singular one. So you can kind of, it's like a choose your own zombie apocalypse adventure kind of situation. Like you want to go the social media info apocalypse direction. Do you want to go the like viral and like parasites taking us over kind of zombie apocalypse direction? Um, do you want to go the like relationships taking over our brains zombie apocalypse kind of direction? There's so many options. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so we explore a lot of that in my podcast and then uh, with channel Z, which is the live stream channel that I produce um, and the zombie apocalypse medicine meeting, which is the event that we produce, which, as you know, we're uh, we're we're doing in person. When by the time this comes out, it might have already happened. Oh no no no! no. It's gonna come uh, out no, like no, right no, away. No, plug it, plug oh, it. Yeah yeah, yeah yeah yeah. So we're uh, we're having a an in person event with a live stream component, um, specifically not using the word hybrid because that does not capture 
what we're doing at all. So we're basically like shooting and producing um, this meeting at uh, amazing new center called the Mesa Mix Center, um, which is part of broader ASU world. Um, and we're having a bunch of shows, a bunch of TV shows in the zombie apocalypse. Um, and all the, you know, amazing scientists and artists who are, are coming are guests on our, you know, our talk shows, our lifestyle shows, our food shows, our doctor shows. Uh, so we're making the apocalypse fun and even more surprisingly making, you know, academic scholarship fun. I mean, it's mm. easy to make the apocalypse fun, but academic scholarship, that's a little harder. Yeah. So, And m probably most importantly of all, I'm going to be there. That is the most important thing <laughs> about ZAM 2022 is that <laughs> Shane Moss is coming and is uh, going to just entertain us so much with the, I, I can't wait to hear what you have to say about psychedelics and festivals and how they can save us from the zombie apocalypse. That is what you're going to talk about, right? Absolutely. Amazing. What was the, what was your, um, your first book that you wrote? I got it here. It's called The Cheating Cell, How Evolution Helps Us Understand and Treat Cancer. And so like, this is a, it's kind of a serious book. You know, I like do oh, the you whole, wrote a serious like, book about cancer, wrote a serious <laughs> book about cancer. I mean, I'm definitely attracted to like the morbid kinds of topics. Um, right. And I'll do both a serious treatment and the like, you know, fun and lighthearted treatment. But cancer is kind of one of those things that you have to take seriously. Yeah, yeah. And um, and so so first of all, let's plug that book just for a minute. Kind of. Can you give us the the basics of what the book is about? Yeah. So the the basic premise of the book is that our bodies are cooperative systems. We're made of 30 trillion cells that cooperate and coordinate to make us function so that we can do all the things that we do. I mean, so that we can sit here and have this conversation, just the division of labor that has to happen among the cells in our body, the communication that has to happen all the time, the regulation of all sorts of systems. I mean, it's just mind blowing if you actually think about it, because every one of those 30 trillion cells is essentially a decision making entity. It's taking in all this information from its local environment and changing its gene expression. And, you know, in terms of our neurons are changing their firing patterns and that makes all of this possible. So you start with this idea that we're made of cooperation. And then you ask yeah. the question, what happens when that cooperation starts to break down? What happens when cells start pro proliferating, you know, dividing when they shouldn't, when they st stop dying when they should, when they don't divide labor in the ways that they ought to, when they start trashing the local environment, when, you know, they do all of these things that actually undermine the cooperation that makes us functional multicellular entities. Mm. And the answer to that is cancer. Cancer is mm. when that multicellular cooperation breaks down. So that's why it's called the cheating cell, right? The cheating in multicellular cooperation. And so um, basically use an evolutionary and cooperation theory approach in that book and show how you get, you know, both sort of within organisms, you can have selection for cells that are cancerous because they can get a short-term evolutionary advantage, right, through this cheating. But over the evolutionary time of, you know, this timescales that organisms live on, you have selection for organisms that are better at suppressing cancer. And so you have this sort of conflict um, between these two levels of 
selection, you know, of natural selection of evolution. So, so that's the, that's the nutshell version of that book. I had this, uh, what I think is, is just a terrific idea, mostly just from a selfish uh, point of view, which is I really love having conversations, casual conversations, really digging into uh, subjects with uh, scientists that I already know and enjoy talking to. And so uh, I'm always trying to think of new ways to trick scientists into telling me all of their knowledge. And so I had this idea. I, I have a lot of scientist friends that are, you know, will get stuck at various points in projects and putting together a new class or new book or something like that. I always have three books going that will never see the light of day. And so, so I reached out to some of my favorite guests and was like, you know, do you have any books or projects that you're working on that you would be up for just kind of hashing out sort of a basic um, structure. So if if you sort of have the outline and know the direction that you're going with it, know what have an overall idea of what it's going to be, we can kind of through casual conversations hash it out together and put it into parts. And so so that's what this is. So you have a new book that you're working on. So listeners are going to get to hear kind of a sneak preview and then and then perhaps some of this of the series will be coming out after the book is out as well. Awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, the way I think about it, um, Shane, is that like you basically offered to kind of be my unqualified therapist slash writing coach. And I was like, fuck yeah, let's do this. (laughs) (laughs) Very excited. (laughs) Yeah. So what's, what's your new project? Okay. So this book, um, is essentially about how the apocalypse is upon us. Um, but it's okay. As long as we approach it from a mindset of cooperation and collaboration and, um, you know, trying to solve the, the problems that we are facing together. So, you know, instead of like burying our heads in the sand and being like, Oh, you know, yeah, everything's okay. Nothing's going on here. Be like, yeah, everything's okay. But that's because like we're dealing with what's going on right now. Mm. So, uh, so lack of cooperation, perhaps being the biggest of our threats um, of all. Yeah. I mean, certainly um, I, I mean, the way I would frame it though, is like that there's an opportunity You know, if we embrace our cooperative nature more um, and kind of don't get stuck in this like zero sum thinking about the world and what we can, you know, our ability to meet our own needs in the world, whether it's, you know, on on a regular Tuesday or, you know, in the midst of a natural disaster um, that we will be able to deal much better with both the, you know, current crises that are going on and with future crises that we're, we will inevitably be facing as this world gets more and more fucked up. By the way, is it okay if, that I'm swearing a lot? Uh, it's encouraged, actually. Okay. Right, good. Um, <laughs> I, I, I have a... So I love this idea. I think it's going to be a hit. Um, I'm... 
I'm a fan of anytime uh, a book that grabbed me years ago was Michio Kaku's Physics of the Impossible, because what he was able to do was take here's all of these scenarios from, say, Star Trek and all of these various sci fi things um, that are that are quite popular and 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 then breaking down the actual physics of how could something like warp speed be possible? How mm-hmm. could something like a force field be possible? What what do we have that in terms of camouflage that that are leading us closer toward invisibility and that that sort of thing? And a, a way of a way of taking something that um, are you know so popular in in the media and people spend hours upon hours binge watching tv shows about and then breaking down the real kind of nitty-gritty science about it in a fun way and i i see a lot of parallels um here with that but kind of from an apocalypse uh scenario so what what got you so interested in apocalypses in the in the first place is this just what how old were you was there a thing that happened in your life was there a moment you, you asked me to be your therapist so now we got to <laughs> dig into this a little got to reach deep into my past uh, <laughs> yeah um all right let me lay down on the couch and then i can no I'm just <laughs> um so I mean, it really, the apocalypse thing kind of started with uh, my work in the Human Generosity Project. So looking at um, across small scale societies, and then also we did work in the lab and we, you know, I, I made a bunch of computer models looking at like when the shit hits the fan, when there are crises that can threaten your ability to survive, your family's, you know, viability how do humans respond in those situations? Um, And what we found was that it was, you know, across all these societies that we looked at that people would help in times of need as long as they were able to without going below their own threshold for what they needed to survive or sustain their families. And so this whole element of like, you know, shocks being a normal thing, that happens and has happened, you know, that have happened to humans since we've been humans, right? You have situations where there's, you know, droughts or diseases or natural disasters of any kind and, or, you know, wars even, and people are in need. And, you know, rather than, you know, the state of nature being like a red and tooth and claw, you know, everybody out for themselves, what we really see is that people, are there for each other in times of need. And that there's a lot, there are a lot of systems across societies that are really there for the purpose of helping um, to support individuals and households and communities when things get bad. And so Mm. really that, you know, for me, that's where my interest in the apocalypse started um, is, you know, looking at how do humans deal with crises. And, and, you know, I use the word apocalypse in a sort of like playful way sometimes where it's like, you know, a, a way of sort of thinking about and talking about crises in general. And you could even think about personal apocalypses, right? Which many of us face. And that's why we need therapists or unqualified mm-hmm. therapists like you to help us through. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so that's where the apocalypse piece of it started for me. It's like more than a decade ago, um, you know, working on understanding basically need-based transfers, how humans help each other in times of need. Um, 
and usually without expecting anything in return. You know, when those those situations, those shocks occur with, you know, no warning, they're uncontrollable, unpredictable. People are just like, hey, you need something, I'm there for you. Mm. So this is really, this is uh, kind of these end of the world type scenarios that you eventually got uh, interested in was was really just an extension of uh, the cooperation work that that you were doing scaled up to the human level rather than more of the cellular level. Yeah. Yeah. It really did come from, you know, looking deeply at what's the psychology of how humans respond to disasters and shocks, you know, with cooperation. Well, let me ask you, uh, are, are there any studies, um, showing, varying levels of cooperation based on I I guess what I would love to know is you you're kind of framing all of this as uh when shit hits the fan and a lot of times in in a lot of contexts people really come together in ways that um you you may not um necessarily predict or it's easy to lose faith in humanity sometimes but then you see, uh, you know, these political divides evaporate when, say, a big hurricane comes through an area, you set the campaigns aside to, you know, hopefully you do to take care of people or, uh, you know, people get very nostalgic for moments after 9-11 when everyone had the flags out and we were all on one team and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, but what about the opposite? What about when things are going well? Can are are people worse at cooperating when things are going well? Is there more like money grabbing happening? Yeah, yeah. So, so it's actually kind of an upside down U shape. So if you think about, um, you have like the severity of disaster, um, and then you have the amount of cooperation, and if you or or, you know, or just how, how good or bad things are. Right. So like, as thing, like as things go from being really, um, things being really easy, um, to having a crisis, you can get this increase in cooperation. Um, but sometimes when things are really good, people are in a mindset of competing with each other over status and resources. And the thing about status is that it is an inherently zero sum situation, right? Status is like, how am I relative to you? And so if people are in that mindset, then they will inevitably be, you know, poised against one another to have that higher status. There's so, just no end to it. People, people would rather have the small, uh, the, the, the biggest trailer in the trailer park than the smallest mansion in the gated community. Yeah. Yeah. I know I would. Yeah, <laughs> mostly because I don't want to be in a with trailer parks. And yeah, yeah who I, wants to be in a gated? Community? I wouldn't want to be yeah, in a gated yeah, community. Yeah. Right, you know, right. nobody's gonna, nobody in the gated community is gonna be able to survive the apocalypse because they don't even <laughs> talk to each other, right? They're, they, they think they're safe behind the walls, but really, like the trailer park is probably the safest place to be in the apocalypse. Yeah, and so there, there's just, there's just no finish line. You, you can. 
you can be um uh i, I remember what was it like kim john il or whatever but yeah he was basically king of of the world uh, in his in his territory of north korea and and he still needed to put out propaganda about how he was the best golfer in the world and all of these things like still just needed more and more status it just wasn't enough needed to be the best at, at everything and and we've we've of course had some politicians like that ourselves yeah and a little bit of apocalypse helps keep it real that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, you can see apocalypse as being a bit humbling. <laughs> um, yeah. do you- so I'll also say, though, if things get so bad that people are starving, you know, people mm-hmm. are like in a famine situation right. that just fundamentally changes human physiology in a way that you can have a, you know, societal breakdown at that point. But right. but after recovery from a famine norms about cooperation and helping can fully recover. So that's what we saw with the, the Ik people in Uganda. They had a period of famine where their um, norms of cooperation broke down just because there was nothing to share. You know, if you don't even have enough to eat for yourself. Can, can you, can you yeah. get get into that? In, sure. In a yeah. Bit more detail? Yeah. So um, the Ik are um, hunter gatherers and um, farmers. They used to be um, really you know, nomadic hunters in um, East Africa, and they were forcibly settled in um, the 1960s because of political issues. So they stopped basically being able to sustain themselves with their way of life. And um, they were given, you know, very little support. They had like one cup of rice per person per year that was given. So they were you know, taken away from their hunting because they used to travel for hunting on a Mm -hmm. seasonal basis and forcibly settled and they could not make a living. And they uh, were struggling and starving. And during that time, an anthropologist named Colin Turnbull came and did an ethnography where he basically said that they're, I think he used the phrase flower of evil or something like that, like that they're just horrible, horrible people who don't even take care of their children and that they should be eradicated and not like killed, but that they should be broken up. Their culture should be, you know, broken up. They should be, you know, dispersed. Yeah, these are to savages. Other that, yeah. Yeah. And so, um, but, you know, he was doing this during a time when they, everybody was just literally starving. So they right. had nothing to give. You can't give somebody what, you know, food, if you don't have enough to feed yourself. So, um, we, we went back with the human generosity project, uh, um, postdoc named Catherine Townsend went and, um, lived with the ick for more than a year total and found that when, they, when was this, um, this was, I think 2012 around 2011 okay. through 2013, I think. Um, and what she found was that not only were they, you know, cooperating and helping each other and sharing food, but um, that they reported that they share more, not less when things are hard. Um, Mm. And they have a a cultural norm called Tamor Morang, which basically means that means, you know, it's good to share. And it's a very, very strong part of their culture. And so, Mm. you know, putting all the pieces together, you know, basically they were thrown into the situation where things were positively apocalyptic, right? People starved to death. 
Um, people couldn't take care of their children because they had no food. Um, and then, you know, over the course of 50 years, at some point, you know, over those 50 years, these norms about sharing and helping completely, you know, came back. And, you know, we don't know if that was right away or if it was a slow process, but um, we do know that, you know, the cooperation and these norms about helping in times of need are are really resilient to, you know, even going through those worst of worst times. Hmm. So there's a, there's this upside down, down you. There's a, there's a perfect amount of shit hitting the fan that makes <laughs> exactly. people get yeah. along really well. Yeah. And help each other. Yeah. But then, you know, oh. and, but the thing is like where that you starts to like go down, like, that a lot of that is a question of how you perceive what need is and how like embedded you are in your community. Right. So, you know, if you think that what you need is like, you know, your year long or, you know, three years long supplies in your New Zealand bunker and, you know, all of that, then, you know, even if it is like that perfect level of shit hitting the fan for most people to be super cooperative, um, if you're not kind of, if you don't feel like you're in the same boat with everyone because your sense of what your need is, is very different, um, then you might kind of be in a zero sum mindset about it rather than like, Hey, yeah, let's all work together and try to get through this. So I think there's a, there's some subtleties there about, you know, like when that you starts to turn down and some individual differences about, you know, like what, like, you know, how happy are you to basically live like you would be camping for a while? Like, not everybody is on the same page about, like, doing that in an apocalyptic yeah. situation. And some people are like, yeah, that'd be super fun. And other people be like, oh, I don't know. You know, so. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, in, in talking with you about this, I'm, I'm having a sneaking suspicion that maybe life is kind of complicated. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's why we need science. That's why we need science. We need to study and figure well, this stuff out, right? Be, yeah, exactly. Well, well, I mean, because now you're talking about uh, perception, which absolutely cannot be ignored. And and um, and it it is in terms of what people's perception is. It's like, when is something bad? When is something... I mean one of the wealthiest people that I know personally um, in my life, I have an extended family member that like married a very wealthy person and has never had to work and, and everything. And they're the most dramatic person I've ever <laughs> met and everything, anytime you do, it's like, Oh my God, it's just, everything's a crisis. And it's like, and now a dog needs to be, it has a, has a like lump on it. So they need to fly it across the country to have it do the, it's just everything's it, it's, it's like the, the more, uh, the less you actually uh, uh, have to worry about the, more. It, it's almost like an allergic reaction mm, to not having real, <laughs> real threats. It's I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm telling you, I've never met someone so dramatic and, and it's like a, it's kind of like a running joke almost within our, within our family. Do, <gasps> do you think in the apocalypse she would like switch up her approach? Do you think like, 
she would recalibrate i mean we all got a little taste of things with in in our lifetime with with um say 9-11 and um and then like covid our 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 first global pandemic we we got one or that we all like really had to experience and deal with and um and so you know we got to see how people i I would say uh you know perception we all perceive things a little differently i would rate i would give her a D minus on her handling of those uh, scenarios. But, uh, you know, that's that's me. Maybe someone else would give her an A plus. I don't know. Or maybe when the shit hit the fan, like her, you know, inner prepper apocalypse ready, you know, personality would come out and you guys would just be like, whoa, this is amazing. Yeah, may, maybe it's it's tough to say, and, and but <laughs> the 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 point is too is is just is just one person's apocalypse is another person's like camping field trip. Yeah, you know? and, exactly. And, yeah, and, totally. And uh, and also just just the you know look at the the with something like COVID where you have you have personal uh, you you have very reasonable um you know back and forth of like what what is what is what should we consider an uh, overreaction what is appropriate what is not enough of a reaction you you have you're always going to have that kind of um spectrum yeah. in any of these scenarios whether it's war or anything else, how much involvement there should we be? Should we invade? Do we should we send more? Should we send less? There's always going to be those debates, but then there's just complete denial that happens of of reality, seemingly, and 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 on the other and so so some people are just going to completely just believe that there's no problem whatsoever, and other people are going to believe that things are the end of the world that are not. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, there's even just ongoing things that so many people have to deal with, like, you know, evacuating because there's a wildfire near your house. Right. Right. I mean, that's pretty apocalyptic and it's a thing now. It's like, it's becoming the new normal in a lot of areas of the country um, and other places in the world as well, you know, that you have to be ready to evacuate. I mean, last summer, I spent a decent amount of time with my like go bag by the front door because here in Flagstaff, we had fires that, you know, I mean, it was like smoky outside and you were just like, "Ah, do I have to go? We need to stop recording together because I remember that that was that was I was having you on the show and you were like, there's a fire like down the street. So I I may need to scoot out of here. And then today. As we were getting ready to record, my phone went off because I'm in Raleigh and there's a hurricane coming through. And so my phone went off with like flash flood alerts and everything. See, the the world does not want us. Ta- I, I think we're we're provoking the gods when we talk about our <laughs> apocalypse scenarios and, and, and or, scoff in their face. Or they're just, you know, trying to time it so that people will pay attention. Uh, yeah, to what maybe. we have to say. They're <laughs> like, hey, really? Actually, this is going on right now. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. so I guess 
So, so I, I guess you're fortunate in that there has been a good amount of research on cooperation and altruism. There's been a good amount of, um, say, game theory, which if, if you're going to I don't know if you go into game theory much in your in your book at all, but I if you do, do, we should actually. There's a lot of game theory ex, in the ex, book. We should explain yeah. what that is because the average the average mm-hmm. person isn't. When I yeah. first heard the word game theory, I'm like, "What's a theory of how many video games people play or, or something?" <laughs> and yeah, that's what my kids still think it is. They're like, "You're a game theorist, mom." Like, <laughs> no, not that kind of game theorist. <laughs> and and so I'm I'm just kind of curious and. Um, I'll let you tackle this any way that you want is if you use some of that research to, to tease apart some of those individual factors that we're talking about um, that, that will lead to priming people toward cooperation or toward uh, uh, selfishness or whatever in various apocalyptic scenarios yeah well so uh, apocalyptic is a yeah, fun yeah, word. yeah. That, we should incorporate that absolutely I that was like. that was season three of zombified was apocalyptic times oh really mm-hmm. oh you already got it. of course you already got it oh, we can um, we can keep it going though all yeah. right all right yeah I, you, I think you 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 coined it though you get the credit for it. <laughs> actually my colleague gaiman bennett came up with it and then we nice. were just like we're gonna run with this because yeah, I think that captures it. It's like, yeah, it might not be like a world ending kind of scenario, but there's a lot of like local things that are happening and then also yeah. global things that are, you know, existentially threatening that are happening now. One wildfire is not a global apocalypse, but if you are in the middle of that, it's as apocalyptic as a scenario can be in life. Exactly. And, you know, all of our, you know, aspects of human nature that have to do with, you know, dealing with catastrophes are, you know, really based on responding to local situations. So, you know, the sort of psychology of the apocalypse was, you know, forged in local disaster kinds of scenarios. So I think it makes sense to think about, you know, the, the apocalypse in those, in those kinds of terms. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but to get to your bigger picture question yeah. about game theory, there's so much we could talk about with game theory, but like the very the very big picture is that a lot of, you know, the way that game theory has been developed is kind of based on this idea that you have players, usually two, but you could have more than two, um that are in a situation where their outcomes are dependent on not just what they choose, but what the other person chooses. And so, mm-hmm. like that's kind of been the way that a lot of game theory has been developed. Um, and so the sort of the big unknown is what are other people going to do in the way that game theory has been conceived of. Now, the thing is, once you get to thinking about and talking about the apocalypse or crises more generally, the big source of uncertainty is coming from the environment, not from just what is another person going to choose in a game where there might be a conflict between, you know, what's best for me and what's best for you. But Mm. there's a question of, you know, is the, is there going to be a crisis that is going to threaten us all? Um, Or is there going to be a crisis that's going to just threaten me or just you? Uh, And that's an ongoing issue that we have had to deal with as, you know, humans for a long time. So, so there's some pieces of game theory that address those, those issues like 
you know, <clears throat> not knowing who's going to be in need. There's a game called the Sir Philip Sydney game that addresses that. Um, but by and large, game theory uh, has has really focused on, you know, the other players and uncertainty about what the other player or players are going to do as the main thing. And the game changes a little bit, you know, when when you're thinking, excuse me. Yeah, so the the way that standard game theory approaches things is that the main source of uncertainty is from what other players are going to do. But mm. when it comes to the apocalypse or crises more generally, the main source of uncertainty is really what's going to happen. Is it going to be a disaster or not? Am I going to need help? Are you going to need help? <clears throat> and then like the most important thing so becomes like, are we going to be there for each other? Are we going to support each other? So we're going to hear more about uh, game theory within uh, within the book. It'll be in uh, probably as you have it structured, chapter three right now, and and probably how uh, how we think that we're putting this together is this is sort of the intro where we're we're giving people a little bit of an overview and what to expect in um, in upcoming uh, episodes, and then what we've loosely discussed so far is then kind of breaking things down into so this is the intro and then we'll have three to four i think three parts of the book is what we discussed and then uh and then a conclusion and then and and, and maybe if there's a if there's a particular chapter or two that uh, either of us find especially interesting or that you need extra help with or or that listeners seem to be especially interested in um, because, because we're going to be getting questions and everything from people along the way um, then we can uh, we can wing things a little bit too but that's the general structure is there'll be a, a part one part two this is the intro there'll be a part one part two and part three coming up um, and then a, a conclusion as well. So what sort of, uh, so, so give us a, the bird's eye view of uh, the part one, part two, and part three of the book. Well, so the book kind of starts with like, here's the landscape of the apocalyptic scenarios that we are facing now and likely to face in the future. Um, and also kind of a, a, just a big picture on why, we need to understand how our brains work in order to figure out how to best deal with the apocalypse. So, you know, understanding how and why we panic, how to get, you know, ahead of that so that doesn't happen, how to not get stuck in like infinite doom scrolling and, uh, you know, end up actually driving yourself crazy with, uh, you know, things you can't do anything about. Um, so, so, yeah, the first part is really facing the reality of the apocalyptic times that we're in and uh, then trying to understand how your brain deals with the apocalypse. So that's, uh, that's kind of our, our part one. Well, also kind of understanding that humans have always been in apocalyptic uh, times and, and mo yes. most life on earth has been in apocalyptic <laughs> times and, and, uh, and pretty much, uh, uh, more more species have gone extinct than have have survived in the in the course of life on Earth, but also uh, at the same time, many species have overcome 
incredible uh, challenges and and beat the odds over and over again. And and humans, uh, this is a human saying this, so I'm maybe a little biased, but it seems it seems like humans have been particularly adept at uh, at surviving in an enormous range of environments and exceedingly adaptable. Absolutely. Yeah. So one of the themes is definitely this idea that, you know, regardless of whether we realize it or not, we are kind of adapted to deal with apocalyptic situations. Our, you know, ancestors had to deal with them throughout our evolutionary history and that we Seems have. Seems like they ran towards them sometimes. <laughs> They're like, well, let's go that way. It looks cold as hell up there. What, <laughs> what, why not? What's at the top of that mountain? Let's go and find out for no yeah. reason whatsoever. Yeah, that is a really great point, Shane. You know, like we do have this like desire to explore, even I at, get it. you know, even with a high cost and a high risk to it. Yeah. Um, there is this fundamental desire to explore. And, um, and, you know, that is something that, I mean, there are certainly individual differences in that. Some people are very happy to just, you know, sit in their house and never, never leave. But I think most people have at least some desire to explore, to travel. I mean, cause like what's up with traveling? Like, you know, if you really think about it, it's right. just like a lot of costs and a lot of things could go wrong and a lot of risks and things you don't know. But yeah. most people like have some desire to travel. Um, yeah. so, so yeah. We so we uncertainty. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And, and, and some people literally are like, I'm going to jump out of a plane with a <laughs> wingsuit and I'm going to flip around a bunch while I'm doing it. And I'm going to wait as long as possible to pull the cord for the parachute to, to come yeah. out, which is, which is from, from an evolutionary standpoint and an alien anthropologist standpoint, a, uh, I mean, obviously you and you and I know that the survival of the fittest is a kind of misnomer and a misunderstanding and a poor characterization of, of, of evolution. But, it, but it's how, it's how a, a, a lot of us are kind of generally first taught to think about evolution. And from that point of view, all of that adventurous behavior is completely insane and makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah. Unless, unless you consider the possibilities that every once in a while it can lead to you know, amazing opportunities, right? Yeah. So <clears throat> there's a there's a trade-off there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so so this whole idea that we're adapted to deal with, you know, challenges and sometimes we even seek them out proactively. I mean, that creates mm -hmm. a very strong basis for us to be able to confront and deal with the challenging and changing world that we're all living in now. And so, so yeah, so the first part of the book is basically like the apocalypse is upon us, but it's okay. We're adapted to deal with the apocalypse. And here's some things that, you know, it'd be useful to know about yourself, how your brain works, how your stress system works so that the apocalypse doesn't freak you out, but instead can be a thing that, um, you know, we could have shared attention on and do something about, and maybe even have a little fun while dealing with it all together. Fantastic. Um, and so that's, uh, 
that's that's basically the general overview of that's part one of the book that's, that's part one and then that's part so one. what's what's part two so part two is kind of a deep dive into like the social part of it um mm-hmm. basically like how to make friends in the apocalypse um but like all of the things that you need to know about how we as humans basically have managed the risks that come from all these apocalyptic scenarios through having relationships with each other um, where we can depend on each other. And so that kind of goes all the way from, you know, looking at like the ick who we talked about to the Maasai who have systems for sharing in times of need um, to doing a bit of a dive into standard game theory, talking about how we need to modify some of the assumptions in game theory when we're talking about the apocalypse um, and then kind of bring it all full circle to like, How can you use these things that we know about human nature, risk management, game theory, cooperation um, to build the best Z team, the best, you know, zombie apocalypse team that you can. So there's some practical advice in there. So that's like, that's Mm. the second chunk kind of of the book. So not just how to make friends during an apocalypse, but also how to make friends Ahead of apocalypse for prepping for apocalypse scenarios. Exactly. That's fun. Yeah. Okay. Part three. And then part three is uh, kind of expanding out a little bit to like practically how do we prepare? You know, everything Mm -hmm. from, you know, on an individual or household level, how do you make sure that you're ready for the most common kinds of disasters that can happen? to thinking about how do we set up better systems in society for managing risk? Because, you know, 90% of broad risk management happens through market insurance systems, which can work for some things, but they don't necessarily work for everything. And so, yeah, it's basically like, how do we, how do we manage risk from the individual level, household region, all the way up to, you know, the, the global scale. Um, And then, and then kind of like the, the, the final chapter um, is is basically about like how can we make all, doing all of that fun so wonderful yeah so that's and the and, and 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 I mean just just so um, to kind of touch on that when you say how uh, how uh, how do we make all of that fun because we're talking about uh, you know, what is at the end of the day, very serious issues and people that have uh, just, uh, you know, had, had their lives ruined and, and lost people and everything else who, uh, you know, a, a global pandemic are, are going to be like, well, what do you mean fun? But, uh, uh, an aspect of this is, is an understanding that, that part of finding solutions to our problems is, is good problem solving and a, a really important part aspect of good problem solving is creativity and, and a, a very important part of that is play and being able to find ways to laugh and joke and innovate and and think outside the box. Yeah, and you know, ultimately build a sense of community that can help to support us all when things get tough. So you know, and, and building that community is something that, you know, as you, as you do that, and as you have fun doing that, it's essentially a public good that benefits everyone in the community when things get, get tough. So I think, you know, we need to be more purposeful about building that sense of community. Um, you know, it's something that 
it's something that sociologists have talked about for a long time in terms of like social capital and, and things like that. Um, but I think it takes on new relevance now um, as we are dealing with just having more catastrophes and issues, you know, on local and regional and global levels. So yeah, you know, basically you should take seriously having fun. That's an important mm-hmm. part of making us all more resilient to the the changing world that we're that we're living in. Well, I'm going to take this very seriously because I'm already having a lot of fun uh, doing this with you. I'm, Likewise. I'm, I'm so thrilled that uh, that we're doing this together. It's it's uh, I'm already I'm very proud of this idea. I've, it's already going as 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 well as I hoped that it would. I'm really looking forward to you guys, the listeners and viewers. Um, writing in, which if you're watching on YouTube or, uh, or or send a message on Instagram or a really easy way is to, if you haven't checked out the old herewearepodcast.com website, that is an easy way to go and send questions and just top comments, topics that you want to know um, more about any thoughts at all. Uh, don't, don't be shy. Um, e- even I'm also on Twitter and I'm like talking about stuff having to do with my book on there now. And, you know, if you have any questions oh, or comments, feel free to shoot me a message What's there. Your Twitter? Just at Athena Ectipus. My name is pretty easy. A-K-T-I-P-I-S. Yep. A-K-T-I-P-I-S. All right. And we'll include that in the description. Did I say it wrong? No, you got it. I, I was just repeating it. it for the sake of uh, oh, okay. <laughs> A-K-T-I-P-I-S. Yeah. It's a hard one. Um, it's a hard one. It is. It is. <laughs> um, all right. Well, thank you so much, Athena, for for joining me. And I I look forward to hearing people's uh, reaction to this and, and prepping for more prepper conversations. Coming yeah. Up. Yeah. That's going to be super fun, you know, because like, it's not like prepping isn't just for preppers. That's what I'll say. Yeah. So we'll get into that yeah. later though. Awesome. And, uh, thank you listeners for being such wonderful, curious people. We'll talk with you more next week.